Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, hello and welcome to Smart Investor Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management. With me is Chase. Chase, so good to have you back. I'm back. We're together, I think, for the last month. It was like only one show we did together last month, wasn't it? I, I believe so, yeah, because you were gone <laughs> for two shows. I was gone last week, so it's good to be back. I miss doing it. Gosh, I got to say, most time weeks go by fast for me. I, I can't believe I was gone last show because like, <laughs> that seems like a long time ago <laughs> yeah I, I know time goes by very quickly but it also seems like a long time ago and just kind of lose track of time but uh i've been doing this show now for what uh gosh almost 30 years and i just i still just love doing the show i mean it's just uh, uh always always fun doing it uh, every saturday here but we got a lot to talk about uh, last week a crazy market going on and yes we will open the phone lines i'll give you the numbers now 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. And Chase, is, it is kind of funny because when, when market's going up and everything's crazy, people are like, oh, they love to call them. And I think they want confirmation that they did the right thing. Now it's almost like people are afraid to call because they don't want us to say, no, that's not a good thing. <laughs> you shouldn't have done that. So, But this is when there are good buys out there. We did a great YouTube segment yesterday as well. Yeah, we did a great YouTube segment talking about oil, energy. Yeah. I guess not oil, but refineries. refineries. Because the thing is, a lot of people that listen to the show regularly know we moved energy into like a hold category mm -hmm. just, you know, probably a couple months ago we said ah, it's it's climbed so tremendously well well now a lot of these refiners are about 20 25 percent off their highs i don't think energy is going to resolve any of its issues i think this will still be a peak year in terms of prices but i still think we've talked about energy is going to be a staple of this economy for years to come so I, I think you're still finding good bargains because back in 2020 2021 energy was on sale right right and i i still think there is room to find good value in these energy companies and we talked about marathon petroleum yesterday so you know you want to check out that segment you just go to youtube type in the smart investing show and watch that video there and it's one thing that we always look for and that that's why we like when people call in because they're trying to find find something and the thing that we saw in refineries is that well because of all the talk like oh you now now the government's picking on them they were they were not picking on them they're picking on the oil companies now they moved to the refineries yeah. so they went down you know 15 20 25 percent uh but it's not going away i mean you, you've got to have refineries plus they do different things besides that so we see it as an opportunity is at the bottom who knows but again you're starting to see some great buys there uh, we'll see if somebody else calls them refineries but there's not very many of them i mean i think isn't it like there's only a total of like 20 nationwide refineries? That's a big problem. Yeah, I believe so. There, yeah. There's not that, that many out there. And I mean, that's one of the issues. We haven't built a refinery in years. A couple of them have expanded capacity, become more efficient and effective and so forth. But yeah, we, we haven't been building new ones because uh, I hate to say it, a lot of regulations. And I think the regulations were what, 10, 20, 15 years ago, I think it was? I, I don't recall. The, yeah. I just know they're called RINs, which 
you had to buy as a refiner. So they said, ah, you know, we're not going to buy these RENs any longer. Let's convert our refining capacity to biodiesel. So now we're in this situation of a shortage in yeah. in uh, refined products. And the problem is you can't build a refinery in two months. So. Nope, you, you cannot do that. <laughs> and even I think the regulations are still there that you can't even do it. I mean, if you even if you could build it, you want I, to. I don't know if they place. Honestly, I don't know if they placed regulations on building refineries. I know they they have it on drilling, right. uh, but I I'm, I don't want to speak yeah. here uh, about something I don't know. I I just know if you want to build it, that's going to take a couple of years. Well, <laughs> yeah. I, and I'd say, unfortunately, more than a couple of years. By the time you build it. Um, you know, it'll be years in the past. So anyways, let, let, let's move on because uh, we also did have last week a May retail sales came out and the retail sales numbers were again disappointing as May as month over month they declined by 0.3%. Now comparing to May 2021, they increased 8.1%, but inflation uh, in the month was 8.6, meaning spending adjusted for inflation likely decreased. Many areas in the report did not keep up with inflation as clothing and clothing accessory stores only increased 6.1%. Non-store retailers increased 7%. And, and actually some areas like uh, like electronics, appliance stores actually decreased compared to last year. Yeah. And, and actually look at, I mean, they were pretty substantial decreases. Uh, electronics and appliance stores, they were down 4.5% compared to last year. So, I mean, again, adjusting for inflation, that's a really bad number for those those stores. Mm-hmm. So, got to keep an eye on, on different areas in the economy there. But uh, one major highlight that I, I do want to point out was, of course, gasoline stations. We talked about this already, but that increased 43.2% compared to last year. No surprise there with the huge spike in gas prices. But I'm looking at as higher gas prices may now be impacting consumers' ability to spend in other areas. Food services and drinking places, though, stood out as one of the lone bright spots as total sales increased 17.5% compared to May 2021. I got to say, overall, inflation continues to remain a concern for this economy. And it's still interesting, though. We, we talked about this in the office yesterday about how people complain about the higher prices, but Coincidentally, we both went out to dinner at the winery. <laughs> yes. Separately, reservations. Didn't know we were going to both be going there. <laughs> that sage chicken I had was uh, great last night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was packed, and yeah. UTC was packed. I mean, yeah. there, there, there's people are still out there spending money on 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 restaurants, and it, obviously that's evident uh, in the numbers or evident in the numbers here for the retail sales. And I think a few things are, have happened. Uh, people did have higher savings from the pandemic. Uh, they also did pay down some of their credit cards. Um, they now have a job. Um, they can keep spending. They will complain about it. But I, and this is why I don't believe we'll have a recession in the near future, because as long as people have their jobs and they keep working, um, they can make the payments and they don't like it. And they may cut back instead of getting maybe, you know, prime beef, they might get the select beef or whatever. Subprime, yeah. Subprime or whatever, it whatever it is. But I mean, you'll change your habits a little bit, but you're not going to go back to staying in your home. You you will do what you can. And and we talked about shrink inflation also, and we're kind of getting off topic here a little bit, but shrink inflation from from a lot of restaurants and stuff. We used to get uh, five, five pieces of shrimp, now you get four for the same price. Uh, and I don't really remember when you go there. Like, gosh, I thought I used to get five. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I mean, remember, I thought it was more full when I left here. You know? <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but but I mean, we are seeing that. And again, I went to Cheesecake Factory. I think it was on Thursday night, and they were packed. I mean, you look at the freeways; they're still packed with people. So things are still going okay, and we complain about it. Uh, and I think, and we've talked about this, and 
Uh, well, actually, the next the next topic we're going to talk about is good news on the inflation front. So let's kind of switch over to that <laughs> <laughs> because there is some good news on that. And what we saw was with the U.S. increasing interest rates, it has boosted the strength of the dollar, especially against the Japanese yen. Uh, the dollar was, has now advanced 22% against the yen to a level not seen in 20 years. Now, the imports to the United States from Japan were about $144 billion dollars in 2019 and 2022 is expected to be around the same. And 37% of the imports were transportation equipment, appliances, and electrical equipment. That accounted for 35.4%. And chemicals, plastics, and leather goods were about 11.1% of the imports. In essence, Americans will be receiving a 22% discount on Japanese products, which will help ease inflation inflation in this area. And FYI, you will not see this decrease tomorrow. We'll take a few months for it to filter on through to the consumer. And, you know, we, we talk about this inflation, it will be resolved. Yeah. Not over the next two months. No. I mean, it, it'll, it'll come because one of the best cures for high prices is high prices. At some point, the consumers we talk about, they're still mm-hmm. being able to afford it. At some point, they won't be able to afford it. So then you have to cut back. Now companies have to lower prices. So you talk about that. You talk about the imports, the strong dollar. Well, that's another area of relief to help combat inflation. Obviously, we know about the interest rates increasing. That's another area to help with the inflation. So while we talk about inflation being a major problem right now, it, it's not going to last forever. No, it, it's not going to last forever. And if we could just somehow get more oil and gas out to people and bring the price down, I, some, I increase the supply. I, I don't know how. Yeah. I, I, at this point, I don't know how you increase yeah. the supply of gasoline. Right. Unfortunately, I mean, we talked about refineries operating at 94.2%. There's not much more space to increase gasoline because we've limited the supply. And same in Europe, they've limited the supply. Even if we drilled for oil, even if we transported the oil, you're not going to get more diesel, more gasoline. And, and one thing that I don't understand, and, we, and again, we kind of look at different numbers and so forth. I'm not saying... What was the, the the demand of gasoline in 2019 versus now? Because refiners had to be refining enough then, and we did not have a problem. I, I believe part of the problem was they ramped down utilization during COVID because right. nobody was driving. So then they had low supply, and then demand ramped back up, and we were at a low supply to start with. So in 2019, we had a very healthy Inventory cycle of inventory, right. and now we don't because of COVID. And it's not the refiner's fault. What are they supposed to do? They, you're not going to produce all this gas when you're when you're right. operating at a loss. <laughs> so it, it's it's I believe just a function of the inventory level heading into this year was a, a major problem compared to 2019. So a logical explanation would be in 2019 we had plenty because of the fact we had good inventories. We weren't behind the eight ball with COVID. Things shut down then trying to play catch up, get back to where you were, you just can't get there. So yeah, because I, I wondered about that. Like, well, wait a minute, 2019 didn't have probably. And, and also too, and, China right. was exporting more oil products. And now China is not in the world market right now. They're they're keeping all their own oil products. And right. Russia was also, I to be honest, I'm not sure the exact amount of oil products that Russia does export to the world economy. I obviously don't think they're exporting the same amount. So right. you've kind of removed two players as well. And and that's one thing that I want to point out to people is this energy market is a world market now. It's it's not right. like, oh, we're we're producing gasoline and oil here in the United States just for the United States. No, Europe would be totally screwed without us. Right. And I know that there was complaints because we do export some refined 
products, gasoline, uh, which has been kind of a complaint, but uh, we did that before. So it's just something has kind of changed. I think you're right because you go down so far to get back to where you were, it's just sometimes impossible. I think uh, we said refiners are what, 94% of what they're operating at, which is a very high number. Yeah. Uh, I think the average is probably more like 90%. Yeah, so it, it, it's a problem there. And I, I did want to make one quick comment too. I, people have you know heard us on the show talk about a strong dollar and it helps inflation, but one thing that it does hurt is the trade imbalance. Yes. Yeah. So you know, there's, there's a pro and con to that is benefit is it, it could help with pricing here but downside is we're going to probably see even larger of a trade imbalance which would have an impact on gdp as well because that would weigh on the trade portion of the gdp equation the other benefit of a strong dollar is that it keeps the price of oil down because oil trades under the dollar now if that gets weaker then the price of oil could even go higher um, and also too it does make you you're right the strong dollar helps when you want to buy imports because it makes them less expensive but it will reduce our trade because now our exports are more expensive for the world to buy and they won't buy them. Also too, if you travel, it is very, uh, it's nice to travel because of the fact you have a strong dollar. Uh, we went to Fiji and it's like, gosh, I think uh, uh, we got like a 52% discount, I'll call it. And yeah. It's just like, wow, because uh, of a strong dollar. Speaking of not being strong, we'll talk a little bit about Bitcoin because Bitcoin did fall today below $20,000. Uh, so much for it being an inflation hedge. Well, that didn't work out. Or safety from investing in the stock market. Well, that didn't work out. It is uh, acting as we expected, expected a speculative investment that we still believe will not end well. And sometimes we talk about these cycles. They last years, not months. And I, I got it pulled up right now. Just I have my stock research stuff that sure. we use to, to look at you know stocks for people when they call in. Bitcoin is now falling under 19,000 officially. Ooh. So it, it's, you know, I, I was talking to you this morning and I was saying, okay, so the high was about 69,000. It got cut in half to 30, we'll call it about 34,500. Wow, what a great buying opportunity, right? You're now down about 45% had you bought at the 50% haircut. Yeah. I mean, you, and especially we talk about people buy the dip, buy the dip. And I've seen that, <laughs> Bitcoin is that. Again, close to 70,000, it fell to back down to 60. I'm buying the dip here. <laughs> well, I'll tell you something. You don't have infinite money. Right. And part of the problem, too, with crypto is now we've seen those leverage positions. That's unwinding quite drastically. I think there was a lot more leverage in crypto than, than I thought about and that other people thought about as well. And that's also pressuring it further because you can't keep buying the dip unless you're borrowing. And all of a sudden, you're borrowing against it. Now it keeps falling further. Now you have to close that out. Now you take a massive loss you're totally screwed. Yeah, and, and the thing that I, I don't see any catalyst like, oh, this is the time to buy. Well, you've been saying that all the way down. Um, I, I don't, I won't predict a, a bottom for it, but I do believe that this is kind of the end of the excitement. And we've talked about this before years ago, that when the economy slows down, people stop speculating. That's what cryptocurrency was, so speculation. You're not gonna speculate because you're, you you wanna hang on to your money. So I, I I, I don't think we're at the bottom yet for, for Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, but it, I, I think the the curtain is coming down, I'll put it that way. And I, I think it is interesting, I mean, you know, we like to watch Fox Business, Stuart Barney's right. the, the host there, and he, he was talking to a, a Bitcoin expert. I always <laughs> use my quotations there because I, I still don't believe in cryptocurrency experts because, well, the, it just hasn't been along, around long enough, and the people that are experts are the people that bought it and they made money off it, so to speak. So I, I just point that out but he, he was talking to the, the guy about well I just don't get it 
if my stocks are falling again, I know that I have these earnings, I have these sales. But cryptocurrency, I don't have anything. It's like, oh, I got to push back. You have blockchain technology. Well, well banks here in the United States have blockchain yeah. technology. Right. Bitcoin does not own blockchain, blockchain. technology. It, it is a part of that cryptocurrency, but it doesn't own the rights to blockchain technology. And that's the problem with it. it, it it's There's no moat around it. There's nothing there. Yeah, and then he's like, well... It's like digital gold. And, and then I, I, I just, there's no consistency when you talk about these cryptocurrencies. No, it's a currency. No, it's digital. And as he said, it's inflation. It's this and that. And then we talk about, oh, the crypto winter. I I told you this morning, maybe it's the crypto ice age. Maybe this is the end of crypto. <laughs> right. I, it's not going to be a winter. Know. It's going to be years if, if, if it all. And I, I, I don't, I think it's like the, the tulip crisis. You know, eventually the, the end came. And you still have tulips at a certain price, but, you know. Yeah, and I, I, I just, I, I look at it, and if people are trying to make the argument that it's digital gold, I think that is a terrible argument. And the reason I bring that up is because if you're trying to get people that invest in gold to buy crypto, right. if that is your target audience, so to speak, good luck with that. Why do people buy gold? Tangible asset. It's a tangible asset. Yeah. People buy gold when they're scared as heck, and they want to hold on to something. Something, yeah. Well, you don't get that with crypto. So. <laughs> it's out there somewhere. It's it's it's, it's in the cloud, as we call it. So we talk about this yeah. for hours, but yeah, we, we we could and 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 we'll just see. be careful at the end of the day. Yeah, and again, we, we've said continuously, hey, if you want to buy it, go ahead and buy it. It's speculative. It's it's gambling, uh, and I know there's people made money off it, but unfortunately, I know there's no doubt in my mind, a lot more people have lost money on it than made money, and some people actually can afford to do that. And what a shame too. We talk about younger people, the compounding effect. Say you you lost ten thousand dollars. Gosh, if you invest that ten thousand dollars, how that would compound over years to come. Um, once it's gone, it's gone. Can't yeah. compound on nothing. So let's talk about Apple because uh, there's no doubt that Apple is one of the world's best companies. However. Even with that standing, the stock has fallen almost 30% from its high of around $183 a share. What I wonder with this company having total revenues of nearly $400 billion, what will keep the excitement going and grow revenues? Yeah, keep in mind that with just a 10% sales growth, the company would have to produce $40 billion in additional sales. The question is, where will that come from? I don't think they can sell enough iPhones, wearables, or Mac computers for an additional $40 billion. With the stock trading around 22 times earnings, it may continue to have more air let out of the bag because the company will not be able to match the expect expected success that it has created for so many years. Yeah, and, and, and this is not exclusive to uh, Apple. It could be other big companies as well. Microsoft. Uh, Amazon is just like way down. I mean, Amazon, oh, they did that split as like at 120. I think it was like, I don't know, 102, 103. Uh, I think it closed on Friday. Um, this is happening to a lot of companies. There, there's nothing they can do for an encore to keep that stock going. We've talked about this. The big problem with growth stocks is that you got to keep going and going and going. And eventually there's nothing left to really excite people about. When I, I I kind of look at those companies in a couple of different ways. With Apple, yeah, they have their service revenue now, but it's still a relatively small portion of the business. It's going to be hard to grow your services at $40 billion. I, I still wonder, I mean, remember Apple used to have these major cycles with iPhones where it'd be like they'd come out with this iPhone and then the next iPhone was It's always exciting. It's always exciting. New well, phone coming out. But no, it, it was back in like 2015. Yeah. Right. They had a, that big cycle and then the next iPhone was a dud. And that the stock fell tremendously. Oh, I see what you're going. Yeah. And what I wonder is, it, it seems like Apple's been able to 
consistently have these high growths in terms of iPhone sales. But to me, I look, I mean, I still have the iPhone 8. Right. And people, oh, wow, that's an old iPhone. You know, right? people are laughing at you I, right I now. Know. Right. <laughs> but I, to me, I, it's not that much different now. But I have the 8 compared to, I forget if they're on the 12 or something now, the 13 maybe 13. this year. Yeah. To me, the 13 and the 10 or 11 or the X or whatever it is, very, very similar. And I I don't know if they're going to be able to keep producing these these sales growth rates. I think you might see something similar as what happened in 2015 where it was all of a sudden a down cycle for the iPhone. And you can't forget the iPhone <clears> is still <throat> a major component and it's a product. It's not a service. It's right. not recurring revenue. You have to sell those iPhones to capture the sales. Right. So something I, I think to keep an eye out on is it is still product driven. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. Does it, I have the uh, Hey Siri uh, feature on it. Does mine? Yeah. I, I believe so. You don't use that. No, I, I don't like to dictate stuff. Oh, I dictate all the time. That's why I, sometimes well, I, I post like to them text. up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I type. I type on the computer. Oh, okay, yeah, because because I always dictate everything on the phone that I can, but then I have to go back and read it. Sometimes I don't like. Oop, that's not what I meant to say because it doesn't pick it up. But it's just such an easy feature on that. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it, there's not a big difference in what we're trying to say, and I don't know what's going to happen going forward. There's nothing major coming out. There's no big excitement coming out. For them, and also too, the other thing: a lot of these companies were based on oh, the cloud, the cloud kept expanding. Well, maybe that's going to you know slow down as well. Well, I was going to say that that was more Amazon and Microsoft. Right. They have that Not service Apple, revenue, yeah, yeah right. where they're more in the cloud. And the problem there is it's recurring revenue. But again, you have to keep getting new customers to switch right. over to to continue to grow that revenue. Now you have that base, which is nice because if you don't lose customers, it's still a consistent revenue stream. But you still, again, have to bring on new people to grow revenue or increase prices, I guess. But you know what could happen is that competition. Yeah. Like, well, wait a minute. You know, we, we need more business because the business is not coming in. We'll cut our prices. Maybe we can take some of Amazon's clients to, to bring them over here to Microsoft. And there, there's, I, I think, five big players, I think, in the, the cloud industry, so to speak. So they could start competing for that business, which would cause their prices to fall. Mm -hmm. Good for the consumer, bad for those stocks. And that's why you don't pay 30, 40 times earnings for a company. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, high profit margins bring in competition because other companies want a piece of those high margins, and all of a sudden there's too much, and yeah. then the margins get cut. Exactly. Phone number is 833-288-0973. We're going to open the phone lines uh, that I'll get you through for your unbiased, no string attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. Again, 833-288-0973. Right now, all phone lines are open. Let's go to... Oh, go I, I did want to say real quick, too. I We didn't have it in the notes, but I, it, it's so important, and I... I we should have put it in there, is the Fed did increase rates 75 basis yeah. points this last week. That was the highest rate increase since 1994. I, I mean, that that is just something that you have to keep in the back of your mind, is we are in a situation that investors haven't seen in decades. Right. And I, I'm going to point out my youth here. I, I don't know if... It, I was one years old when <laughs> we saw a 75 basis point hike. I mean, this is craziness. And I'll be 30 next year. Right. This is something that a lot of people, you know, my age, even people in their 40s, what, they were 10 years old, 11 years old. I mean, yeah. that is something that a lot of people have not seen the likes of inflation like this. And I, I think that's why you have to be prepared and, and you have to understand everything doesn't go up and have to understand this is why we've been telling people don't buy bonds because bond prices like people oh i'm gonna wait until you know the the prices come back on my investment 
tell you right now, bond prices are not going to come back because I don't think the the 10-year note is going to fall below 1% again. Right. And and actually, you know, we didn't err on that. I mean, and I think because we kind of just knew it was kind of coming, we didn't do a post on it. We didn't do anything on it. I did a post. You did a post on it? Okay, so we didn't have it in our, in our mm-hmm. stuff there. Okay, I, I didn't see that there. But um, uh, anyways, too, and and all this information that we talk about, uh, you know, we actually compile that in a newsletter that goes out on Friday for you. So if you like the information you just heard about, you know, the di- different topics about Apple and the retail sales, uh, there's other than there, too, that we do, like the producer price index, uh, the refining capacity that we talked about. Uh, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And what you can do is actually get uh, the newsletter for free. Uh, goes out on Friday afternoon, and I think you'll enjoy it quite a bit. Yep, so. yep. There's one little tidbit as well on that Fed rate hike that was in our, our, our post in the newsletter as well is the Fed now has talked about at the next meeting, they're looking at a 50 to 75 point or basis point hike again. Yes. So, I mean, this is something that's coming quickly to combat inflation. And it seems like the Fed got behind the eight ball last year you know, with this whole thing that inflation right. was transitory put them in a, a dangerous spot where now they're really having to hike quite quickly. Quite quickly, yeah. There it is, latest interest rate hike. So it is part of the newsletter that people would actually get our comments on that because uh, we do a lot of different uh, things in there. People really uh, enjoy them quite a bit. And I think that's what's really spooking the market right now too is you have inflation, you have interest rates hiking, but but you got to remember, I, I think what could happen is the Fed, they're very aggressive right now. I believe if they take their foot off the gas pedal near the end of the year, inflation cools down, and by cool down, I mean around 5%, let's say. I think the stock market, the right stocks in particular, could rally quite nicely because now all the bad news has already been baked into it. Right. That's what I'm kind of looking for. Again, I, I we like the value stocks. I, I think you're going to see a lot more movement in those value companies as those come back and people are like, why did I sell those? Right. But I think some of your high flyers, you, you still got to watch out for. And, and Chase, I can't believe it, but uh, we got a secret coming up. Uh, comes up every three months. So that is now the workshop. We have a workshop that's on the calendar for Thursday, July 21st at our Scripps Ranch office. Uh, we talk about many things beyond the radio show. We go more on the fundamentals of how we do things. We talk about the target buy prices, especially now. This is when you want to get back to the basics. And we do talk about things that... Uh, we go more depth than we can here on the radio show. It is free. What you have to do is sign up for it. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And as always, a free workshop uh, starts at, uh, what do we, we start at six, I believe. At six. Yeah, six o'clock. So yeah, uh, find out more information there at the uh, website. And then you got a big thing coming up in August. Yeah, I want to bring that up real quick. Is, uh, as many listeners know, I do have my uh, breast cancer charity. It's called the Fighters Fight Foundation, where we provide, uh, again, experiences for, for women battling breast cancer. Last year, we did five Christmases for, for women and their families. Some of them single moms, and it really means a lot to them, you know, going through chemo, going through the, the difficulties of, you know, battling that, that difficult disease there. Uh, it really takes a lot of pressure off of them and, and allows them to kind of focus on spending time with their families. But what we do is once a year, our big fundraisers, our golf tournament. Uh, last year, gosh, it was a lot of fun. Um, that was our first golf tournament. We had about 88 golfers out there, 18 sponsors. This year we're, we're looking to do it even bigger. We got a taco stand coming. Ooh, taco stand. We have, um, you know, we'll have beer, seltzers. Uh, I think it's going to be a, a lot of fun. And looking forward to some of the sponsors we have as well. They're also bringing uh, hard kombuchas. One of I was going to say, what about that? I was going to call it kombucha. I forget the name. Yeah, of it. Jaybird <laughs> kombucha. They're going to be one of our sponsors. So we're cool. really looking forward to that. But uh, that'll be August thirteenth. That's a Saturday. 
uh, held at the Ranch Brown Inn. Beautiful golf course there as well. So really looking forward to it. All you got to do if you want to sign up, get more information on it, just go to our website. It's fightersfightfoundation.com. Again, that's fightersfightfoundation.com. And it's a scramble. So if you're not right. a great golfer, don't worry. You can take the other players' shots in your teams. It'll, <laughs> it'll be a good time. You know, last year I didn't play in it. I, w- I was there. I don't know if I'm going to play in it this year or not. I, I kind of like, ah, I kind of wanted to play, but I don't know. It's a scramble. Scramble. You don't have to be good. Can I throw the ball? Yeah. Just... <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Phone number is 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. Let's go to our email list here. And I do see that we got an email from Blair. Uh, this was actually addressed to you. Uh, hey, Chase, love the show. Only caught the last 15 minutes today, but uh, always so informative. Thanks a lot. Uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on the high-growth SAAS market in general. Uh, recent IPO examples such as GTLB, HCP, and perhaps a deeper dive on the SAAS Darling Work Workday. Uh, other examples include DDOG, uh, SNOW, uh, just realized how bad they've been hit, yikes. Uh, not looking for the analysis of all these, but overreacting thoughts. Uh, second part, uh, how do you see these, these, uh, this impacting the IPO market in this space? Uh, I work for a hyper-growth venture-backed company, and while we're in a good spot, uh, the multiples have declined so dramatically that's tough to gauge what an IPO would look like. Uh, who knows where the bottom is? Certainly won't be exercising my vested options anytime soon. Looking forward to this. lot in that uh, email there. Uh, sounds like the main thing he wants to look at is, is Workday mm-hmm. um, is what we looked at. Now, I'm kind of curious on this as well because um, uh, I know they did extremely well. We've seen a lot of, of these high-tech companies get hit pretty hard. What's their symbol? W-D-A-Y. Yep. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming that they've been hit pretty hard as well uh, like these other high flies, like, um, oh, DocuSign and stuff, you know, yeah. oh, well, DocuSign, that's not going away. Gosh, I think they went from like 270 down to 50. So I'm, I'm very curious on Workday, what we're going to see here. And, and maybe it could be a time to maybe start looking at buying some of these companies. So again, looking at Workday, symbol is W-D-A-Y, software application industry, uh, only 4.3% is a float for the short to 92% institutional owned. Well, this is disappointing. Uh, no PE ratio for them or the industry. Price of sales are high, 6.6 versus 4.6. Price to book value, 22.9. That's high, but the industry is well over 100. And then price of cash flow, 21.8 versus 34.9. That's good. Peg ratio, 2.9, better than the in- industry at 4.5. Now, I show no earnings growth here at all for the one year and even the five year. I do see sales up 20.6% over the one year, uh, not quite as good as the industry at 33.2. They do not pay a dividend. Looking at the balance sheet, looking pretty good here so far. Current ratio 1.6 versus 2.2, that is okay. Debt to equity only 0.9 versus one. Net profit margin, a negative half percent, not as bad as the industry at a negative 3% and return on equity a negative 5% or 0.5% versus positive four. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just not seeing anything that's exciting me so far here. Maybe there's something in the future you're gonna see. 
Yeah, well, I'll start right here with the current price first. The current level, 139.38 for workday. 52-week high, yep, there it is, $307.81. And the 52-week low, looks like it hit that uh, a couple of days ago, $136.27. Year-to-date down 49%, so definitely taking quite a beating there. If I go out to January 2024, though, I do see positive earnings of $4.50. Would give us a target sell price of, unfortunately, $74.70. So it's still below that level. And is it, this is still one of those growth companies. And it's still one business that I worry about it being like the tech bust, where right. you've seen these companies, oh, it's down 50, 60, 70%. It could fall 90%. Unfortunately, right. people say, no way. It could happen, and that's why we stick to our value philosophy. doesn't mean Workday can't go higher from here, but it's still not a value business even with that huge decline. And, Chase, I'd say a big range in the earnings estimates, the low 380, the high 664, that's not a good thing. I do see over the last 90 days, not a lot, but the earnings estimates going forward are declining. Uh, This is not something you want to get into because you're still paying a high price for it. Uh, you said that the, the target sell price is about 70 something? 79, yeah. 79, so you still, <laughs> stock cut in half, that'd still be the price to sell that, not buy that. Um, I, I would just have to stay away from these. I know I've seen a lot of these other ones like Snowflake and everything else. That, and I saw this happen before in software, software industry. I, I wanna say back before the tech boom or maybe after the tech boom, where they just fell apart because it, it, they just didn't have the fundamentals to, to do it. It's not like a food company, not like like a uh, insurance company. And I will say the the SaaS as software as a service. I, oh, that's what it was. I, 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 what it I, I, I believe there is a lot of benefits to that business model because we talk right. again about service revenue. But the problem is you're getting more and more SaaS companies. Oh, I, I do SaaS. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're software as a service and they're smaller businesses, bigger businesses. So it's kind of like what we talk about with the cloud. There's more and more competition out there because it is a very lucrative business, but that's why you're starting to see these stocks fall apart is because you're expecting so much growth from these particular companies, but that brings in a lot of competition. So the growth for those businesses in particular could be hit quite hard. And I I know he mentioned working for a a software as a service company. I do worry that unfortunately the venture capital (laughs) markets, the the IPO markets are not going to be as favorable for those businesses. Now, hopefully your business does great and you know, your business does do well and you guys do have a great IPO, but I, I do worry a little bit about the industry not obviously getting the same multiples it was getting <laughs> last year, two years ago. Uh, that I don't think that's going to occur. You still probably get decent multiples on it if it IPO'd, but nowhere near where it was just a couple years ago. A couple years ago. All right, phone number is 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go out to Kansas and speak with Randy. Randy, you're in the Smart Investor with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning, Brent and Chase. How are you guys doing? Good. Long time no hear from you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hear you guys every week. I <laughs> All right. For quite a while. <laughs> if I don't catch it live on Saturday morning, I'll usually pull up the podcast and listen to it. But, yeah. Um, hey, I just wanted to let Chase know, also, I, I still have the iPhone 8 also. Nice. <laughs> That's a great phone. <laughs> Let's take a survey. How many people have yeah. the iPhone 8? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, I've got a lot of stocks I'd like you guys to look at, but I know you're looking for me. Um, could you take a look at Goodyear Tire? I, I own a little bit of it. Uh, I've owned it in the past and made a little money on it and sold it. And I picked it up here a while back. It's 
it's down off its high and everything. I was thinking about adding some more, but I talked to you guys first. Okay. Uh, and, and let's take a look at the Goodyear tire. Their symbol is GT. And I, I always liked Goodyear tire because of fact I kind of grew up with it. You know, it's in the racing and so forth and their tires. We actually held it in the portfolio a few years ago and it was a disappointing investment. And they had the numbers, they had the fundamentals, but management was terrible. So that's one thing that I would look at. Has management changed? Are they still on the same group? Because they kept saying this and then that would happen. So let's go to the numbers here and see what Goodyear Tire looks like here. Again, their symbol is GT. They're in the auto parts industry. Uh, float, 8.3%, not high, but definitely not low. 87% institutional owned. Uh, now, P.E. ratio, very attractive, 3.5 versus 16.3. tells you in three and a half years, you should make back what you paid for the uh, stock based on the earnings here. Pretty attractive on that. Uh, price of sales, 0.2 versus 0.6. Price to book value, 1 versus 8.5. Uh, price of cash flow, 4.8 versus 10.6. And peg ratio, very attractive, 0.7 versus 16.6. So again, you got some great valuation ratios here on, on a Goodyear tire. Unfortunately, they don't seem to deliver. Uh, no earnings for the past year. The last five years, they have earnings of a negative 7.6%. The industry's down 10.3. Now their sales over the past year are up 47.7% versus 10.4. I'd be curious why they're up that, that much. That's pretty amazing. Uh, the five-year growth rate, looking pretty good as well. 9.1% versus seven. They no longer pay a dividend. They probably stopped that during COVID and did not add it back. They used to pay a decent dividend. Looking at the balance sheet, current ratio 1.2, very good. Well, okay, I guess the industry is at 2.6, but here again, the debt is not looking very good. 1.8 versus 0.9. You get above 1.2, 1.4, we start getting a little bit nervous. Uh, we do see a net profit margin of 4.5 versus 3.8, and return equity 16.5 versus 8.5. Chase, what do you got? Yeah, so current price here for Goodyear Tire, it's $11.06. See the 52-week high, $24.89, and the low, $10.62. Year-to-date down on 48.1%. And I, I do recall, since I, I do rubber, the oil prices really dinged them. Oh, that's right, so, higher expenses, yeah. Yeah, higher, higher expenses, so that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, honestly, it could yeah. be a, a, a good time to buy. Generally, you want to buy when things are bad, not when right. things are good, so <laughs> that that's a positive there, I'd say. Uh, want to make sure, though, I guess, can they get through it, especially with a high debt level? Yeah. Are they going to be able to repay that debt over time is something that, that would be a, a major concern for me. But going forward to December 2023, no surprise here. I mean, the, the earnings look phenomenal. $2.76 gives a target sell price of $45.82. It's trading at four times future earnings. I mean, the valuations on this company are just unreal. And I I want to like it, but again, there's that balance sheet issue. Uh, I would want to know the management. We just had a lot of distrust in, in what management was saying years ago because, as Brent said, it, oh, well, you know, things are going to recover next quarter or things are going to recover next year even sometimes, and we get to the next year and yeah. it, it didn't happen. So there, there's a couple things to look at, but as I said, I want to like it. I just I have my, my reservations about this company. Hey, and I did take a quick look at the balance sheet. Uh, back in 2016, they had $4.7 billion of debt. Uh, recently, that's uh, $8.3 billion in debt. So their, their debt's going the wrong direction 
what your worries may be because you could see this company, I hate to see it, American company would have to go through bankruptcy to reorganize to stay in, in a business. Now, I do know when we had the company, they do make more money off the tires for electric vehicles because they're more expensive and so forth. You have to have special tires for the electric vehicles. So they've got some good things going on, but I, I, I don't like the debt. And if the management is still the same, I, I would not want to, I'd be selling out of this company if it's still the same management from years ago. Already? Okay. All right. I just thought I'd check with you guys. Cause I'm, it only takes up about 1% or 2% of my portfolio. And so I was thinking, well, it's down off what I bought it at. Maybe I'd do a little dollar cost averaging, but don't want to throw good money at bad, I guess, right? Yeah, ex- exactly, yeah. And, and I would love to buy it because I just have a good feeling about tires and, you know, the company itself. I, you know, it, But it's just, as an investment, it just doesn't seem to have it there for us. And there's so many good options right now, too, yeah. is the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, I might I might call back next week with some more. I got a few more on my watch list, but you know, with everything down right now, I'm looking to buy something. So okay, well, Randy will be here. You have All a good, right. good Saturday. You too. Thanks, guys. You're welcome. Bye bye. All right, that does open the phone line eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. That's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. Uh, time to talk to our financial planner Harrison Johnson. Uh, he's a CFP and he's a uh, uh, our financial planner, Will Says Management. Uh, Harrison, how are you doing this morning? Hey, good morning, guys. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Well, good, good. I I love this topic we're talking about uh, today. I've talked about this for years. It's a great tool for financial planning. Uh, what you're going to be talking about today is the rule of 72T. Why don't you explain what we're talking about? So the rule of 72T, not to be confused with the rule of 72, which tells you how long it'll take your investment to double, but uh, the rule 72T has to do with retirement account withdrawals. So if you have a re- retirement account, pre-tax retirement account, like a rollover IRA or something like that, you can't touch that money until you reach age 59 and a half. Now, technically, if you have like an employer plan, 401k, 403b, TSP, something like that, and you separate from service after age 55, you can access that money after age 55. But other than that, if you try to touch this pre-tax retirement money before you reach that age, you have early withdrawal penalties. On the federal side, it's a 10% penalty, and California has a 2.5% penalty. So you have a, a 12.5% penalty in addition to the federal and state taxes that you owe on the withdrawals if you touch this money um, too early. So what a rule of 72T does, it allows you to access this retirement money at any age without penalty. You just have to take what's called a series of substantially equal periodic payments. So what that means is you have to take a certain amount from that account every year until you reach age 59 and a half, and then it's just a normal account at that point. You can take as much or as little as you want. So this certain amount that you would draw, it's based on, it's a calculation that you have to perform, and it's based on the account balance, your age at the time you start it, and where interest rates are at at the current time. So that might come out, let's say, to be $50,000. So, okay, you can withdraw $50,000 from that IRA until you reach 59 and a half. Now, if, for example, you only need, let's say, $30,000, that's fine. You can just take your IRA, break it into two accounts, and then perform the 72T withdrawal on one, and then let the other continue to grow, maybe perform Roth conversions, whatever you want to do. So if you need less than what that calculated amount is, that's fine. The problem is sometimes 
people might need a little bit more than that if they're looking to retire earlier or something. And the problem is interest rates have been so low that the amount that you, the calculated amount that you can withdraw really hasn't been that much. Again, it's based on where interest rates are and the specific interest rate is it's 120% of the federal midterm rate is what it's called. The IRS publishes this every single month. You can fire it. You can find the number on the irs.gov website. But for the past um, couple of years, this, this rate has been less than 1%. So when you perform the calculation, the withdrawal has been extremely low. However, this year, just a couple months ago, um, the IRS came out and they changed that interest rate to a floor of 5% to be used in this calculation. So what that means is people are able to withdraw a much larger percentage of their account, uh, which could be used for early retirement. So for example, um, if we you know use this calculation, a 50 year old with a million dollars before this rule change could only withdraw $37,000 per year, which is about 3.7%. But now with this new 5% rule that we can use in the calculation, that $37,000 increases to $63,000, which mm. is 6.3% of the account, which is a lot higher. And yeah. you know you don't want to be withdrawing too much more than that or else you run the risk of uh, depleting that account over time anyway. So this is a, a new development in the 72T provision that could allow a lot of people in their 50s to maybe look at retiring. You know, there's a lot of people that have all their assets in retirement accounts and they have the assets to retire, they're just not old enough yet. Well, this could open the door um, to make that happen. So if you're someone in your 50s or you know someone in their 50s that's looking at retirement, this is absolutely something you wanna be aware of uh, because this, this could help change a lot of things. Um, you do wanna make sure you do it right because if you get the calculation wrong or you mess up the withdrawals, then it, it does undoes, undoes everything, and then everything that you have withdrawn up until that date will then be subject to the early withdrawal penalty. So you, you want to be careful, but it is a tool that um, can allow people to access retirement money earlier than many many people think they can. And Harrison, I want to point out to people too, because you talk about the interest rates and how it's now 6.3%. That has nothing to do with how the IRAs invest. You can be in all in equities. This is just the interest rate you're talking about for the formula to what they can take out to meet the requirements of 72T. Exactly. And that's a good point, because if you are going to be withdrawing this higher amount, you want to make sure that the underlying investments are working for you so that you don't deplete the account. The reason the IRS has this calculation and they limit how much you can withdraw is they don't want someone doing this in their 40s and 50s and then depleting their account by the time they get into their 60s and then having nothing for retirement. So they have this this limit on there. So you need to make sure that your investments are, are growing underneath in addition to the calculation that we're using here. And the other thing I like too is the higher limits now, you use the million dollars of the 63,000. Uh, if you don't need that much, because sometimes that's more than you need, very easy to solve that. You just split your IRA into two and then you just take it from the one, not the other. So e easy, a nice, exactly. very, very easy planning tool. Well, I, I was gonna say too, very important you plan properly as well because a 6.3% distribution rate is quite high. Yeah. And if you do this improperly, you could retire in f at 50 and have no money left by the time you're 72. Yeah. And, you know, that's where I think Harrison is so important. What you do is 
put that plan together saying, you know, you could take a little bit more of a distribution here, but how are we going to make that back up down the road where some people are great, I can take the 63,000 all of a sudden they run out of money. They can't go back to work when you're 72. You've been retired now for 22 years. Yep. Yep. So, right. Yeah. We have to look at that. Maybe there will be social security in the future that we can use to offset the withdrawal rate. But you know, again, the investment needs to be working for it. So all those things we can take a look at. Well, here's and thank you very much. Uh, we'll see you on Monday, and uh, you have a great Saturday. Thanks, guys. We'll see you Monday. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, again, that's uh, Harrison Johnson. He's our financial planner. He is a CFP. Uh, he's on a salary. He doesn't charge commission. There's no, you know, bonuses for him. He's on a salary to do what's best for you. It is a fee-based planning. You do get a one-hour free consultation. If you want to know how the Section 72T would work for you or other financial planning questions, uh, give him a call at the office at 858 858- Five four six four three zero six. That's eight five eight five four six four three zero six. Or go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com, and sign up right there for a free consultation with Harrison. All right, phone numbers here: eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. That's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. Let's go down to Mission Valley and speak with Tim. Tim, you're on the Smart Investing Show with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Okay, hey, thanks, guys, for taking my call. Sure, thanks Just, for being there. Uh, uh, I'd like to know about Qualcomm. Uh, had, a obviously, a big price dip, like lots of stocks, and just wondering what you're thinking at this uh, price right now. Okay, do you hold it or looking to buy it there? Uh, I have a little bit. A little just bit. Just a real small amount. Just looking to add to some. Okay. Well, let's take a look at Qualcomm. I'm kind of glad you called in on this because I know they have had a price dip. I don't know what it is, but I'm very curious myself to see where we stand on Qualcomm. Their symbol is QCOM. Uh, they are in the industry of semiconductors. Their float, very low, 1.4%. That's for shorting the stock. Institutional ownership is 76%. PE ratio, 12.4, better than the industry at 17.3. Price of sales, 3.5 versus 4.3. Price to book value is kind of high at 28.2, but the industry is well over 100, so that's a positive for Qualcomm there. And price of cash flow is a little bit expensive as well, 15 versus 11.6. Now, they do have a very good peg ratio of 0.7 versus 4. Uh, the earnings over the last year were up 40%, not quite as good as the industry at 57%, but still 40% growth. Uh, I'm pretty happy with that. The sales are up 33.5%, industry up 13.5%. Their five-year earnings per share growth estimate is 14.3%, which is pretty good, but the whole industry is at 169 so that does surprise me a little bit there. Uh, they do pay a dividend, 2.5%, using 27% of their earnings to pay that out. They have paid a dividend for over 10 years. Uh, Looking at the balance sheet, we've got a current ratio of 1.6 versus 3. I'm okay with that. Debt to equity, 1.2 versus 0.6. I'm kind of surprised on that. I'm it's a little bit on the high side, but I'm, I wouldn't worry about it with a, with a Qualcomm and their cash flow. Uh, we do see a net profit margin, very good, 28.4 versus 25.4. Return equity is 83.7 versus 27.1. That tells me they have a lot of, uh, or probably a low amount of equity because that's such a high return on equity, uh, 83.7%. Chase, what do you got for the stock going forward? Yeah, on the debt-to-equity front, too, I, I do recall they bought back a ton of, ton of stock, stock over the last several years. So I, I know that's probably, well, not probably, it's definitely decreased their yeah. equity 
I'm curious if their debt position has increased or decreased along with it, but if debt stays stable and equity decreases, obviously your debt to equity goes up. So I don't understand that as it could provide a positive light to the higher debt to equity. But uh, looking at the current price here for Qualcomm, it's $120.99. Wow, look at this, 52-week high, $193.58. 52-week low, $118.36. I see year-to-date stock is down 33.2%. Uh, industry that they operate in, though, is down 38%. If we go forward to September 2023, I do see estimated earnings per share of $13.20. What gives a target sell price at $219.12? So I like that. I mean, the valuations on this company are great. And I was going to say, I, I like the semiconductor space right now because we know we're not going to yeah. reduce our semiconductor need. We need a lot more semiconductors to keep improving our technologies over time. And, you know, I talked about all the different things we're using semiconductors in a couple of shows ago. I don't see that going anywhere. Now, I do worry about the AMDs and the NVIDIAs of the world, that they were trading way too high in terms of mm -hmm. the valuations. It seems like the Qualcomm, the Intels, the Applied Materials, the LAM Researches, all these other semiconductor stocks that actually have reasonable valuations, they've pulled back so much as well, along with the high-flying semiconductor stocks. I believe that you'll see companies like Qualcomm, Intel, and the lower valuation stocks come back much faster as I mean the valuations on these companies are just unreal and it's still a growing industry hey, and I was looking at the balance sheet when you're talking what was the target sell price you uh, had for the two nineteen twelve. oh nice game there uh, and, and I did look at their debt on the balance sheet because I was kind of curious on that uh, from 2020 it was at 15.2 billion in addition to buying back stock they haven't paid down the debt it's now about 12.2 a billion dollars, so they are trying to pay that that down. So we like seeing that. Uh, I like the company; it's always been very well run. They're in the industry of the chip area, which we know they're not gonna. It, this is like a perfect time, I think, to buy companies like this because, yeah. again, I, and I can't tell you if it's gonna go down tomorrow or up tomorrow. But I'm looking at where will this gonna be? 12, 18, 24 months down the road. I think it's going to be higher because we've got good fundamentals. We've got a good company. Uh, got growth. Got growth. Um, yeah, I, I, I think Qualcomm is one that you can look at and say yes. And it's so nice as a San Diego company. I say yes, I, I, I like this company. So um, I can't be more okay, clear than that, Tim. <laughs> great, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, great. Hey, thanks so much. Have a good rest of the day. You too. Thanks for calling, Tim. Okay. All right. Take bye bye. You know, it is kind of funny because I'm kind of hesitating, like, wow, there's nothing wrong I can find with Qualcomm not to buy it because, it, you know, again, this is when you, as an investor, you get excited because here's a great business that was not, it wasn't over, I think it hit, what, 180 was the high you said? Uh, I, I, I caught you there. I, 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 <laughs> you, I, I, you moved on. I, well, I, 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 uh, high was 193. 193. Uh, and I know I think when it's got like 170 and people are like, oh, they're so excited about it. No, I'm not very excited about it. Now at uh, 120, Ooh, now I'm excited about that company. Yeah, so. I, I will point out one thing. We held this company years ago is you have to understand the legal side of it because yes. they do operate more of a kind of patent type business where companies have to use to use their patent or pay to use their patents. I'm not sure how that business operates now. I'm not sure how. I just remember listening to the conference calls. Yeah, we're in, you know, North. Uh, I said North Korea. <laughs> we're we're in Asia challenging this this uh, this patent. We're in Europe challenging this patent, and it just seemed like every conference call there was just 
the the legal side of the equation. So that that's one thing I would look at in a little bit more in detail with Qualcomm. But as I said the numbers look great. It's in a great industry. We know it's still a great business. I'm sure they have great lawyers there as well. Hey, and I was wondering how big their legal team is. I'm I'm sure they do have a big legal team, but I I do believe they still even with their legal team that they still use outside counsel. Mm-hmm. Um, so they do have legal expenses. But uh, they have done a great job over 20, 30 years of defending those patents. So I don't see why that would change going forward. I think they're pretty strong. I believe so. And patents do expire. Yeah, that's one thing. Is uh, I'm, But also, too, you, you need to keep innovating. Right. So you can't just live off one patent for 20 years because yeah. <laughs> that, that, that technology would become obsolete <laughs> right. anyways. Yeah. But I think you build off those patents and create new technology with new patents and, and I, there's something that goes, I can't remember if it's rights or patents or something goes like 99 years or something for a long time. I'm not sure if it's patents or not. Maybe they're 27 years or something. Might uh, defer from industry. I, I, I yeah, don't know. Yeah, it could be. But it, it, a very interesting company, done a great job. And we've always liked Qualcomm, but I just don't like the price of it sometimes. Yeah. You know, now it, at these levels, like, and, and again, doesn't mean it won't go lower. I mean, it, it, it could go down to 100, but you want to say, okay, here's a reasonable price for a business. I want to buy this business, put my portfolio, and don't think where it's going to be over the next uh, week or so. And, and I really like some of these technology companies now because it almost seems that, well, I think right now everything's just getting sold because people are panicking, but it, it seems like technology is getting hit even harder. And it doesn't right. matter what type of technology. It, it's even a company like Qualcomm, as I said, it, it, the valuations on it are very strong, but it doesn't matter. It's still getting hit hard. It's not like your Shopify that, you know, was trading at <laughs> like a hundred times sales or something. Yeah, like $1,400 or something crazy. <laughs> something right? crazy. Yeah. But these companies are still getting hit. And these are the type of opportunities where I think you're going to do very well over the next, you know, two, three, four years. Yeah. And that's why I like to get these calls uh, from people on a Qualcomm that we can actually find a business saying, yes, this this is a good one that we can say we feel comfortable. And again, as always, do your own research. We're just doing a quick analysis here. We do not hold in the portfolio. Uh, we've held it in the past, but it is definitely worth the research to look at buying more of this company or investing in this company for a good long-term investor. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, as I said, it's a great business and it's kind of cool when you live here in San Diego and you drive by the, uh, the big buildings big and you're buildings. like, oh, I, I have a piece of that. Right, <laughs> and then there's Qualcomm Stadium. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, that's gone, isn't it? <laughs> Too soon. <Yeah. laughs> Too soon on that one. So I was going to give up the phone numbers. I looked it up. We only got like another minute left. So gosh, this, this show went extremely quick. I guess when you're, when we're together, it, a lot more conversation. I always love talking to you. I mean, this is what we do in the office, you know, many times have our conversations, which we now share with you here on, on the radio show. Uh, just a lot, a lot of fun when you're here to have the conversations. Yeah. It's always nice to go back and forth and yeah, you're right. It's, it, it I don't want to say it's challenging when you're by yourself, but you know, voice gets a little tired you know like, yeah. like after just talking for an hour it's it's nice to just go back and forth and it makes for a little a little more conversational yeah and when i we first set this up because i used to do the show by myself for for many many years probably 20 years and uh but i used to have commercials well we set this show up there's no commercials because oh we can talk to each other but when the other person's not here like wow i gotta talk straight for 59 minutes <laughs> <laughs> So, but it, it is always uh, good having you here and the great information. Uh, again, we do have that workshop coming up on uh, Thursday, July 21st. It's, uh, we only do these now once every three months. So if you really want to know how to invest using fundamental analysis, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. 
smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. We'll talk about a lot of great things, how all these things here on the radio show, how to invest using fundamental analysis, how to get target buy prices, sell prices, um, how to understand income statements, balance sheets, uh, cash flow, um, what to look at, what not to look at, uh, what you should be investing in, what you shouldn't be investing in, all these important things. And it is free at the workshop, but you got to sign up. The seating is limited. Again, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And when you're there, you can also sign up for the newsletter as well, because we get so many comments on that newsletter. People say, wow, there's some great information. Yeah. Lucky yeah. on the website. Yes. All righty. Well, thank you for listening to Closing, uh, closing Bell. Thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for informational person only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to listen to uh, or would like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or visit that website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And again, you can sign up for the newsletter right there. Have a great day. We'll talk more next week right here on the Smart Investing Show. Music to think that I did all that.